Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The You'll Miss the Magic of These Good Old Days edition as I play 10 Teammates in a Hat with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since anything your kid makes for you. On Father's Day, in addition to giving me a nice gift, my son Sam made me a Father's Day card. He didn't need to get me the gift. If you're a parent, you know there's nothing better than receiving something that your child makes specifically for you. When I was still a baseball broadcaster and went on long road trips, my then four-year-old son asked my wife Peg the following question. If I wrote Daddy a note, could we send it to him on the road? She said sure, and I received it at my hotel on the final day of the team's road trip. At that point, Sam hadn't quite grasped the concept of writing in sentences, so the note basically looked like a long strand of letters. I grabbed a pen and paper and was able to decipher it. It read as follows. Hey, Daddy, I am sending a note to you. Do you know how many years old Yoda is? I will tell you. 900. Love, Sam. How was your trip? May you bring me a surprise? That note is prominently displayed above my desk at home, and if our house ever caught on fire, it might be the first thing I would try to save. Like I said, there's nothing better than getting something homemade from your kids. Now, let's get to this week's feature. Four years ago, I started doing a weekly segment on the radio during the baseball season called 10 Teammates in a Hat. I quickly realized I had stumbled into radio gold. Here's how it works. I go through a player's bio and write down the name of one teammate from every season of his career on a little slip of paper. I put those slips of paper in a baseball hat and ask my guest to randomly select 10. He then shares memories about each former teammate he draws. The segment works best with players who have had long careers in a wide variety of teammates, and my guests have included Johnny Bench, Pete Rose, Joey Votto, and Dusty Baker, among others, and they seem to enjoy it as much as I do. Now, it's time to bring the 10 teammates feature to football. Since NFL careers don't typically last as long as Major League Baseball careers, I've decided to go through a player's bio and write down the names of two teammates from each season he played. Up first, a Bengal from 1974 through 1983, and a member of the New Jersey Generals for two seasons after that. Time to play 10 Teammates in a Hat with a great storyteller, my broadcast partner Dave Lapham. You played pro football for 12 years, 10 in the NFL, 2 in the USFL, and I've written down the names of two teammates from each of your 12 teams on little slips of paper and put them in a baseball hat. You are going to randomly pick out 10 and share some stories. Are you ready to play 10 Teammates in a Hat? Ready to rock and roll, Dan. Here we go. All right, here comes teammate number one with Dave Lapham. Teammate number one, 1980 Bengal Jim Breach. The all-time leading scorer for the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, kicker extraordinaire, got him from the Raiders. And the thing I remember most about Jim Breach is all-around athlete. 
I mean, th- this guy, when we played basketball in the wintertime and we'd go to various high schools and we'd have a Bengal team that would play faculty members or whatever, Breacher was a stud now. He could play. He was a point guard in basketball in high school. He played shortstop in baseball. And he played quarterback in football. So Jim Breach wasn't your, you know, I had been exposed to Horst Muhlmann from Germany who, you know, soccer, not football, American football. He played soccer. And, uh, I mean, he was just a kicker. Really didn't understand that much about football. Jim Breach could have coached. I mean, Jim Breach knew knew the game. And he was a great teammate that way. And I, also, uh, when we would do look teams, you know, uh, people to line up against the first team defense you want to rest your wide receivers Jim Breach would go out there and run some routes you know and and uh, and take his turn in the in the in the look team uh, against the Bengals first team defense getting them ready for for game so I mean Jim Breach was a very very valuable member of the football team no question about it as well as clutch man I mean overtime nine for nine never missed an overtime kick Breach was money in the bank We'll have to make sure Jim Breach hears this segment because I think he would like that description of his playing days. We move on to teammate number two with Dave Lapp. Teammate number two, it would be the 77 Bengals, Pat McAdally. Oh, my goodness. Where do I begin with Pat McAnally? All I can say is Pat McAnally and I used to uh, sit in my room or his room at training camp Um whoever had the better air conditioner <laughs> and just try and kind of solve the world's problems. I mean, talk about anything and everything but football um, because he always, you know, got after me and made fun of me for not going to Harvard. I got accepted and didn't go. And of course, Pat McAnally went and, and got himself a heck of a degree. And, uh, and he's still the only guy that scored a perfect score on the Wonderlick test. So Pat McAnally was just so intelligent. I mean, he could he could carry on a high level conversation about anything, anything. I think he should take Alex Trebek's place. I think he'd be great in Jeopardy. I mean, there's not there's not a category he would not be able to run the table on. He's one of those kind of guys. And the other thing, I mean, he'd he'd sit in his room, and uh, he, he wanted to learn how to play the guitar, self taught, and he just starts strumming the guitar. And all of a sudden, you know, from the beginning of training camp to the end of training camp, he's writing songs. I mean, you know, that's how quick a study the guy is on, on just about everything and anything. And uh, the thing about Pat McAnally, you know, like Jim Breach, he was a great punter, Pro Bowl punter, uh, but he was an All-American wide receiver at Harvard. And, and the story obviously sticks out in my mind about him was when Darden put the hit on him. Cleveland Browns were playing at the end of the season, um, and, and he takes a, catches the ball over the middle, and Tom Darden just puts a shot on him. And lays them out, and it's one of those deals where the Daryl Stingley incident was was not that far away. So we thought, man, we're looking at another one of those kind of deals. And he had traumatized and bruised his spinal column, so he wasn't moving. And we thought, oh man. So they take him off the field on a stretcher, and he's in the <laughs> in the locker room. The doctors are examining him, and he starts to get a sensation and feeling back. It's almost like when your arm falls asleep. He had the you know like he had that bruising which kind of pinched nerves and. And he had no feeling, but then it starts coming back, and he starts getting everything back, and uh, he comes back out in the field, and Forrest looks at him and says, can you still punt? He goes, I think so. He goes out there and punts. We have an injury at receiver. Can you play? He catches a touchdown pass in that game that is an unbelievable, you know, full 
layout catch rolls over the body of a Cleveland Brown to stay off the ground and scores a touchdown. A pass from Jack Thompson was like, oh, my gosh. And at that point, Forrest Gregg was all in on Pat McAnally, all in. When he was busting your chops about not going to Harvard, did you ever come back and say, hey, the partying was much better at Syracuse? (laughs) (laughs) I told him I went to the Harvard in New York, you know, and, uh, yeah. uh, But, you know, his his whole thing was, lap him, the connections, the alums. And when he started his column, of course, the column that he turned into a book, but a syndicated column, you know, Pat McAnally's advice to kids, every every newspaper – that he went to, there was a Harvard connection somewhere. He said it was unbelievable how big a, a net is cast by the by the Harvard alums in just about every business, not just the United States, but internationally. And that's what his big thing was, you dummy. You know, you could have hooked yourself up big time. But it, it all works out. Everybody everybody has their own story and their own way of getting there. Yeah, you may have uh, blown that, but we're proud to have you as part of the uh, Syracuse <laughs> Mafia. Let's move on to former teammate number three with Lap. Former teammate number three... 81 Bengals, Chris Collinsworth. <laughs> Chris Collinsworth. Oh, man. <laughs> Where do I begin with this guy? He, You know, he, he comes in as a rookie, the second-round pick. The first-round pick, David Verser, wide receiver, double down and go wide receiver in the second round as well. And it ends up being Chris Collinsworth, who has an unbelievably, you know, stellar career. And he came to Cincinnati and... He was a golly shucks, oh, gee, you know, kind of guy. And um, <laughs> Forrest Gregg had a great line about him. He goes, Chris Collinsworth, country, you kidding me? The only cotton he's picked is out of his navel. <laughs> he goes, Chris Collinsworth knows exactly what's going on and, and exactly what you're all about. And he said, this guy sees it all and knows it all. I mean, Forrest Gregg had him, had him figured out pretty quickly, but just an, an, an unbelievable personality um and you know the thing about chris is uh, he was he was a you know state champion sprinter in the track team and when you watched him run it was all arms and legs and and kind of uh frenzied you know it kind of looked like ichabod crane running a hundred yard dash or something and i remember kenny riley talking about it he goes man i'm telling you lap he goes collinsworth came came out of his uh out of his two-point stance at the receiver position and man there's there's like appendages going everywhere. He said, next thing I know, he was right up on my toes. He goes, I couldn't believe how fast he was. You know, it was it was like deceiving how fast, how quickly he closed space on me. And once he got up on my toes, it was over, man. And I can't tell you how many defensive backs in his rookie year, no way this guy's that fast. You know, they'd see it on, on film, but it wasn't like, you know, looking at him in a field, it's like, I, I, I can't believe it. And they would always... You know, not give him enough credit for how quickly he could close space on defensive backs, and uh, and he he beat everybody deep. I mean, Pro Bowl is deep, beat everybody deep, and he was he was physically tough too. You know, you'd never think it, but I mean, Chris Collinsworth put up 315 pounds in the bench bench press. You know, and looking at it, would be like no way. Mm. But he was he was strong. Um, you know, really good athlete. His dad played on the Kentucky basketball team, Rupp's Runts. Um, he was he was a gifted athlete and. And, uh, you know, obviously understood people. He had a great way with people. I mean, he just he understood how to treat people and um, very, very popular teammate. And, of course, has gone on to be you know, legendary well after the game of football was over. And, again, another guy, all these people we're talking about, 
Paul Brown was always, what are you going to do for your life's work when football's done? And these guys that we're mentioning here, and Chris Collinsworth in particular, I know Paul Brown would be like, wow, that's what I'm talking about, you know. Um, want to see guys succeed. Just, well, m- more success after their playing days than they actually generated during their playing days. That's what he was looking for. Three down, seven to go. We move on to former teammate number four as we play ten teammates in a hat with Lap. Number four, the 76 Bengals, Bob Johnson. Bob Johnson was the original Bengal. Bob Johnson, jersey number, 54, is the only one that's retired in Cincinnati Bengals history. And um, he was the very first draft pick. And Paul Brown said that uh, besides the quarterback, he handles the football every single play. The center, quarterback, he, he believed in building a battery. The center and quarterback positions were vitally important to Paul Brown, and he wanted to, wanted to build it that way and build his team kind of from the inside out. So he, uh, he went and got the All-American out of Tennessee, Bob Johnson, who was uh, you know just a heck of a football player. And um, another case of looking at uh, Bob Johnson, captain, you know, uh, played at a high level of football, unbelievable leader on and off the football field, huge locker room presence. Uh, respect around the National Football League, not just by the Bengals, but all players around the National Football League. And then he's gone into the business world, and I worked with him um, when I was a player in the offseason at Imperial Adhesives, and he purchased Imperial Adhesives from, from Bob Sticks at USU and put together an investment group and purchased that and then um, built it and sold it and has bought and sold companies. Bob Johnson is an unbelievably successful entrepreneurial businessman and uh, now his daughter's uh, doing the same type of thing. Bob's involved uh, with his daughter as well in companies, and and it's it's an unbelievable story. Bob Bob is a uh, a very very astute businessman, and I think he probably took a lot of the, the football uh, practicality, you know, the discipline and teamwork and all the concepts from the football field to the business world. And I know he did in a very very effective manner. Bob Johnson was uh, was definitely. A very, very wise choice, very successful choice to start the franchise by Paul Brown, who obviously knew what he was doing. No doubt about that. Time to reach into the hat for former teammate number five. 78 Bengals, Ken Anderson. (laughs) Oh, boy, what can I say about my man, K.A.? We roomed together for for like eight years and uh, the most accurate passer I've ever seen. And uh, the game against the Oilers when he completed 20 straight. Uh, it was um, uh, that game comes to mind because you know it's almost like when a pitcher's pitching a no hitter, you don't talk to him about it. You don't say, I don't, I don't think he's throwing an incompletion. I mean, guys were like thinking and looking, and it, but no one was talking to him. But you know, you just didn't want to be the one uh, to bring it up. But Isaac Curtis made an unbelievable catch to keep the streak alive. And you know, at that time, Kenny had the record 20 straight complete in the same game, 20 straight completions in the same game. But he, he would just, I remember at football camps when he would just work out and he'd tell me, you know, ball right shoulder, <clears throat> ball navel. I mean, just from like 30 yards, he'd, he'd pinpoint it like that. He, he was amazing, unbelievable, and it's it's basically a tragedy, I think, a travesty that he's not in the Hall of Fame. He's won a back-to-back passing titles in two different decades with two different offensive coordinators, two different schemes. I mean, it's, it's amazing. No, no other quarterback in NFL history could say that. So when you do something like that, I think you know that's that's Hall of Fame worthy, and uh, and Ken Anderson um, was just 
amazing. He and Isaac Curtis hooked up on some of the most beautiful deep balls I think I've ever seen in my life. To this day, they're about as pretty as anything you want to see. Um, and yeah, he was he was uh, he was special. There's there's no question about it. And people, you can't underrate his athleticism. He ran a four six. I mean, the year we went to the Super Bowl the first time, Super Bowl sixteen, our second leading rusher with like over four hundred yards rushing was Ken Anderson, a high three something like that. It was around four hundred yards rushing. And we just used to run a naked bootleg, and he'd have a run-pass option off the thing. And, boy, when he saw the opportunity, he tucked it and, and ran, and he could run. Kenny was a great athlete. He went to Augustana on a basketball scholarship, grew up with Dan Issel, and they played basketball together in high school. And, and obviously, Kenny was a very, very uh, accomplished basketball player. So that's what you find is a lot of these great athletes, you know, obviously played more than one sport well, but could go on and on about my man ka number 14 in your program number one in your heart <laughs> all right five down five to go here's former teammate number six with dave lapel 83 bengals stanley wilson wow this one is a this is probably the, the the biggest tragedy that i you know that i can remember being a part of with respect to the cincinnati bengals and that's uh stanley wilson because here's a guy that came out of oklahoma had a great collegiate career but that's where his uh, dependency on drugs started, um, you know, with Barry Switzer and, and teammates at, uh, at Oklahoma in that playing career. But this guy, he, he, was a, he was a great football player. I mean, he could, he could do it all. You talk about complete running back, could run the ball, very, very good catch of the football, and he would block. And that, that was the, the big thing, you know, with, with Stanley Wilson, as well as playing special teams. And, uh, you know, obviously the, the thing that comes to mind First and foremost is in the Super Bowl '88, uh, Super Bowl '23, in 1988, when you know Sam Weich and Police Chief Whalen, who was working security for the Bengals in that Super Bowl week, went into his room and and caught him in a uh, you know in a drug-induced stupor in the bathtub, and and um, he just you know ran away and and ended up getting suspended, couldn't play in that football game, and and it's sad. The most important game, you know, uh, the biggest game of his life was when he had the biggest problem trying to deal with all the emotions of it and, and relapsed badly into a huge stupor. Um, but And they missed him in that football game. You know, you talk about the injury to Tim Crumry, and there's a lot of things, but that the Stanley Wilson suspension mentally, you know, had an impact on the football team. And then physically, he was a great blocker for Icky Woods, and they, they missed him. You know, and he was, a, he was a great special teams guy, you know, field position, dictating field position and, and things like that. So um, that was, I do remember when when he was having his battle. I remember it was after the New England Patriots. The Bengals started 6-0 and uh, one season, and, and they lost to the Patriots. And I remember I, the only available seat on the bus was next to Stanley Wilson. And I sat down next to him. I said, you okay? And he kind of looked at me because I thought, you know, that might be when you think about, well, you know, the winning streak's over. You know, any reason that you might lapse, you know, you're looking for patterns or whatever. And, and, and he looked at me, water in his eyes, and he looked at me and he said, it's the first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning. It's what I think about all day long before my wife and kids. It's the last thing I think about when I go to bed at night. And just tears come, start coming out of his eyes. And I thought, oh, boy, you know, that's, that's uh, obviously not good. And then... That year ends with him getting suspended in the Super Bowl. Just a tragedy. Let's move on to former teammate number seven with Lap. Teammate number seven. 74 Bengals, 
Mike Reed. Lord have mercy, there's never been a quirky human being. I mean, <laughs> this guy was so explosive. Just unbelievable. He'd get in this really odd-looking frog-type stance, you know, with a lot of his weight back, and would just explode out of the thing. It was like, oh, I mean, unbelievable how much short space quickness this guy had. Um, and, man, I'm just, I, I was, as a rookie, I'm trying to learn how to pass protect, and that's before you could use your hands, extend your arms and use your hands. You had to keep your hands in by your chest, and, and it's, it's like, I'm like, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to block this guy. And every time I made contact with him, I felt like I hit Nolan Ryan's fastball. It was like, man, this is unbelievable. But he was like that with everybody, would, would have a, a brutal time blocking him. I remember against the Kansas City Chiefs, a Hall of Famer, Jim Tyrer, uh, who was playing guard at the time, um, and Mike Reed had five sacks against him and could have had more. And it was like just beating him like a drum, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I know exactly what's going through <laughs> your mind right now. He was just unbelievably – he had – it, it was, he was not overpowering in terms of, like, not a big body mass. He was maybe 250 pounds. But, man, just generates such a an explosive uh, movement. Man, he was just so gifted that way in, in the quickness. Um, plus, you know, such a talented guy. Concert pianist. He played in the Cincinnati Symphony. I mean, I remember he'd go into, uh, we'd be in a hotel, and, and if there was a, a piano, in, around the area where we'd be going for pregame meal or snacks or whatever, he'd sit down and start banging out like a, almost a private concert at the piano. It's an unbelievably talented dude. Um, and now has written hit songs for you know a lot of different artists, well-known artists, and he's a, he's a Hall of Famer you know, down in Nashville. It's, uh, it's incredible what he's done. Another case of Paul Brown saying, hmm, this, this guy, you know, football was only part of his uh, first phase of his working life and he retired young I mean he, he retired early and Paul Brown didn't bat an eye you know Paul knew he loved music and he obviously you know he didn't want him to retire but he didn't try to talk him out of it and uh, Mike Reed knew what he was doing but Mike Mike was not a big fan of practice <laughs> my, my rookie year I had to go against him every day in practice and Tiger Johnson the only way you're going to get better is working against a guy like this come on now this is a game for you and, you know, I'd be going at a lot higher rate of speed than Mike wanted to go. And, man, he hated me my rookie year. I know he did. He'd be like, and I'd be like, Mike, i got to do what Tiger says. He'll cut me. i got to, I, I want to stay on this football team. Oh, you know, he'd start you know, chewing on me. And he hated practice. But, boy, games, he was Iverson before Iverson. Practice? <laughs> We're not talking about a game. But, man, was he something else in games, boy. He was amazing. We have not had a New Jersey general yet. We'll see if that changes. Three former teammates to go and ten teammates in a hat. Here we go. 84 Bengals, Bob Trumpy. Or excuse me, seven, I was going to say he's retired. 74 Bengals, Bob Trumpy. And that was my rookie year, 1974. And uh, Trump was at his, at his peak, uh, Pro Bowl tight end. You know, they talk about these tight ends today that uh, your coaches will disengage and and use his wide receivers. Bill Walsh was doing that with Bob Trumpy back in the 70s, uh, early 70s, well before 1974. I mean, Trumpy, a couple of seasons, he averaged 17, 18 yards a catch. I mean, he would stretch the field. Just an unbelievably gifted athlete. Big, tall. I mean, his shoulders looked like coat hangers. I mean, broad shoulders. 
and um, you know, more than adequate blocker. You know, I know Jack Ham, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and Bob Trumpy had an immense amount of respect for each other because um, Trump could Trump could block on the edge, you know, and uh, but he was really really gifted as a receiver down the football field and before Kellen Winslow in the 80s and you know all these receivers that we're talking about in today's football Bob Trump was doing a lot of this stuff in the wayback machine so um, another guy that's a very gifted player uh, college basketball could have played basketball in Illinois and uh, just a very uh, you know very very sharp guy and then of course obviously everything he did in the broadcast world the father of sports talk radio godfather of sports talk radio here in Cincinnati and and then all his work in NBC covering not just football but the Olympics and every sport just like Chris Collinsworth followed in, in those footsteps that uh that Trumpy paved uh so very very talented guy very gifted guy as well and uh <laughs> the one thing about Bob Trumpy is uh Glenn Cameron Bob Trumpy and I would uh would be on the plane just to pass time and pick a topic and, and have a debate and it was un, it was great man it was unbelievable how uh what, what guys would end up thinking about and taking an opposite perspective and you know we'd trade and then finish finish the subject and then everybody take the opposite side of it or something different than was talked about and, and hit it again and that made the time go by pretty fast on the, on the planes two two smart guys i really really enjoyed doing that kind of thing with those guys Love to have a tape of that. Time to reach into the hat for former teammate number nine. Number nine. <laughs> Nineteen eighty. Anthony Munoz. Quite simply, the best athlete over two hundred and fifty pounds I've seen in my life. I mean, that guy he was special <laughs> in every sense of the word. You know, he all he did was play on a national championship baseball team at USC, third base, relief pitcher, and then perennial pro bowler. Told him, buy a condo out in Hawaii. You go in there every year. <laughs> you might as well, you might as well go enjoy it. Um, he, he was just just incredible, gifted. And I remember when he first got drafted, he had big hair at the time, you know, big big Afro type hairdo, and, and just a massive man. He just over 300 pounds at that point in time and filled up the doorway man he eclipsed the sun there wasn't any daylight coming around it and, and then we went out on the field to practice the first time it's like he's moving like a 205 pound safety you know i'm like come on this guy is different now just incredibly gifted when he rolled his hips and snapped his hips oh my gosh man it was like a force of nature he, he would just he, he was an incredible guy um and just we called him the eraser you know, Jim McNally said, you know, we, we got the eraser and now we'll figure out what we do with everybody else and everybody else is going to get some help because the eraser doesn't <laughs> need any. Uh, it was it was just such a weapon to have. And um, as everybody knows, as great a football player, he's even a better human being, which is almost impossible to define, you know, because he's, he's such a high level. And um, just he's, he's interested in doing everything he can to make his fellow man better. And... His foundation just celebrated the 20th year, what he's done to help kids and educate kids, and that's that's Anthony Munoz to a T. Um, he's just just a one of a kind. He's, he's a, all I can think of. If, if I had to pick one word, um, and it's almost impossible, but I think I'd pick special because you can take it so many ways, so many different directions. But um, 
he's a guy that you can learn a lot from. <laughs> and and uh, first and foremost, how to treat fellow human beings because he, he is he is the most consistently good-hearted person I've ever met in my life. I've never heard him degrade anybody, you know, um, take the dark side on anything. It, it, he's an amazing guy. He really is. We started out with 24 slips of paper in the baseball hat. You've selected nine. One to go as we wrap up 10 teammates in a hat. This is fun, Dan. <laughs> it's fun for me. Trust me. All right. <laughs> 77 Bengals. Pete Johnson. Man. Oh. <gasps> That's what I think about. <laughs> when I think about Pete Johnson, boy. That guy. Just uh, a genetic freak. Six feet, maybe. And would play at 280. I mean, he'd, he'd play... He was, he'd weigh more than most of the offensive and defensive linemen. But we'd play Bengal basketball, and he'd stand under the basket and dunk without without a, a start drill. Mm. Just stand under and flush it. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> he was just amazing. And uh, he, such a powerful runner. He was our guy in Super Bowl sixteen. And as an offensive lineman, you wanted to make sure that you move people because – if you didn't, Pete was going to run right up your backside, and he'd put a hole that where you don't want a hole in your backside. I mean, he'd literally <laughs> gorge you. Um, but the thing is, with that size, the athletic ability, the explosive that I talked about with him being able to dunk a basketball, he could catch. He ran good routes out of backfield. Very, very easy catch. You know, over both shoulders, catch with his hands. Um, you know, he could he could block when asked to. Uh, he he was he was a unbelievably gifted athlete but um yeah pete johnson was i think forrest greg loved pete johnson and and we felt like he gave us a huge edge whenever it got you know nasty weather who the hell wants to tackle that beast <laughs> and, and we and we knew in the afc championship game the san diego Chargers at that time the san diego Chargers did not want any part of tackling that behemoth i mean Literally, you know, wrap your arms and take them out. You, can't, you couldn't wrap around this big old dude. I mean, his trunk was massive. And he ran with, you know, like six feet tall, ran with a good low pad level. And Pete was a uh, unbelievably talented football player and great teammate. Great sense of humor, big laugh, kept the locker room loose. But it was an interesting dynamic because Archie and Pete were on that team together. And Archie was the two-time Heisman Trophy winning superstar and Pete blocked for him at Ohio State. And then come to the Cincinnati Bengals in the NFL, Pete took the limelight and Archie was more of a, you know, a, a more backstage. And both of them handled each other, the situation, you know, all the potential repercussions of it as good as it could possibly be handled. I admired both of them for that. Archie Griffin was among the names you did not pick out of the hat, along with greats like Tim Crumry, Herschel Walker, Doug Flutie, and many others. But that was a great list, and your stories were fantastic. Thank you for the time. I'll tell you, Dan, it is it, when, when that's one thing when I sit back and think about all the guys I played with, you know, not just watched play, but played with over the years. It's unbelievable. It really is. I mean, I can't, I got to pinch myself, you know, and say, I, I, I actually. Was a teammate of that guy? That's that's unreal. It's unreal when I think about it. it really is. Uh, talk about dreams do come true. 
That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.